welcome to I Read a Book Once. My name's Emma, and this is a podcast where I talk about books. Today, I'm going to be talking about Magic Lessons by Alice Hoffman, which is a historical fiction about witches. It's actually a prequel to uh, Practical Magic and the Rules of Magic, and Practical Magic apparently was this big movie in the late 90s. I've never seen it because I was born the year it came out, but that's okay. And this was also one of my book of the month picks. So today we're going to do this. I'm going to try and be quick because my laptop only has 34% battery and I have something to do in 40 minutes. So let's get going with this. As always, there will be spoilers in this episode. So if you don't want magic lessons to be spoiled, don't listen to this yet. Read it and then come back. So like I said, this was one of my book of the month picks. I actually did, it was an add-on. So I did Ties That Tether, which I talked about last week as my actual pick. And then Magic Lessons was my add-on. I, at the time you're hearing this, I probably won't have this book anymore because I'm passing it on to Bobby. So this time, instead of her just giving me books, I'm going to be giving her books. And this was a great book and I can't wait for her to read it. Also, maybe my mom might read this book. I don't know. And uh, We're going to be doing the summary of the book a little bit differently because this book is, since, like I said, the book of the month editions are larger, so they are a bit shorter page count than it would be normally, but this book was almost 400 pages, and it's painted mm, 30 years, which I did not expect it, excuse me, I did not expect it to do, to expand 40 years, but it totally did, so this is going to be a much quicker one because so much stuff happens and you don't want to sit here and listen to me tell you the plot for 20 minutes and I don't want to do that either especially since I'm on a time crunch so you're going to get the condensed version it literally starts from the time that Maria our main character is born to you know when she's 30 40 something like that so let's start the book opens with Maria being born well not being left in a basket in the snow on the day of her birth and a raven uh no was it a crow a crow man i gotta find out this is important and yes it's a crow so this crow finds her and becomes her familiar because if you are familiar with um which is you know that some of them have familiars which are basically animal companions so this crow named Caden is maria's companion maria ends up getting adopted by this woman named hannah owens And she is uh, skilled in the nameless art, which is what they call witchery, being a witch, magic, magic is called the nameless art. So Hannah takes her in and raises her until the time Maria is 10 and Maria's birth mom comes to visit and Maria is a witch by blood. So she's much stronger than Hannah, who is just uh, kind of learned magic and the healing arts and stuff like that. And so Maria's mom comes because she's done this spell that's gone wrong with love. And her husband is horrible and she wants to escape it. Hannah helps her, but at a cost because the husband and his family comes and burns down um, Hannah's house. Maria escapes, but Hannah does not. And she ends up passing away. And so then Maria spends a year or two with her mom before being sent away when her mom leaves uh, with her lover. And Maria ends up going to the island of Kirkau. That's not how you say it. I didn't look that up like usual when I don't look things up. But anyway, she ends up going to this island nation and she's an indentured servant from the time she is, I think, 
12 to 16 or something like that. And while she's there at 15, this man comes. He is a 30-year-old man, so this is really disgusting and gross. But he comes and visits the family that she is a servant for, and they're doing business, and they end up having... Maria thinks she falls in love with this guy, and she ends up getting pregnant. And this man disappears after one week. So Maria has a baby who she names Faith. And then after spending about a year on the island, she decides it's time for her to go find the father of her baby. And his name is John Hathorne. And so she wants to go find John so that they can get married because she's under the impression that he's a good man who really loved her and stuff like that. So she figures out how to get onto a ship, which is run by two Jewish men, Abraham and Samuel Dias, Dias, their last name is D-I-A-S. And I read it as Diaz, but it might be Dias, but I'm going to call them Diaz because that was what I was getting when I was reading. That was what was in my mind. So sorry if that's incorrect. They are Jewish and they're from, I can't remember if they're from Spain or Portugal, but Abraham's wife and two daughters were killed during the Inquisition and that's when they became sailors. So Samuel has breakback fever, which... I don't know. I think it's similar to kind of like, well, it's not malaria, but you know, it's this fever that you get from mosquitoes. And so Maria gets on the ship by saying that she'll save Samuel's life. So she gets on and she does save him and they kind of forge a little relationship. But Maria is determined to go find John and to marry him because he's the father of her child. And she thinks she's in love with him. But while she's on the boat, she's like, no, she's questioning if she's in love with him because she really does like Samuel. And so then they leave. Maria eventually does find John in Salem. She follows him all the way there because she knows that he's from Essex County. And she gets there and says, let's get married. And he says, oh, my family, they, we can't get married yet. So she, he puts Maria in a little cabin in the woods. And they kind of have an affair for a couple months. And then Maria finds out that he has been married this entire time. And his wife is also really young like Maria. So this man is a creeper just preying on young girls. Anyways, so then Maria cuts him out and whatever. And she tries to get him to recognize Faith, but he won't. And life goes on and she practices magic and helps women who need help, stuff like that. But she's trying to forsake love. She's always said she won't fall in love. And she did. And look how it turned out. Then when Faith is five, Maria is arrested for witchcraft. And John proceeds over the trial and finds her guilty and they bring her to jail. And on her way to jail, this woman who accused her, her name is Martha. Martha accused her because she wanted Faith, Maria's daughter, because she never had any children and she thinks she could raise Faith better. So she steals Faith. She has Maria give her Faith to watch over while she's in jail because Maria doesn't want to bring Faith in jail. And so that happens And Martha's actually evil and steals faith and runs away to uh, Brooklyn. She runs away to Brooklyn with Maria, or not with Maria, with Faith. And Maria almost dies. She's about to be hung, but Samuel Diaz has come back for her like I knew he would. I literally, oh, I love that man. Anyways, he comes back for her and brings her a magnolia tree to show that he loves her, basically. And he changes the rope out to an old sea rope so that it will break. And then Maria, right before they hang her, curses all men who have ever loved or will ever love an Owens woman to a terrible fate. I can't remember exactly what it was, but 
she curses them all because she thinks she's protecting herself and her daughter. But I'm like, bruh, what a stupid idea. Anyways, we'll get to that later. She is saved. Her and Samuel go to New York. Maria finds out that her daughter's been stolen and spends the next five years. No, yes. Five or six years trying to find her daughter and just is not having very much luck with it. Her and Samuel kind of have an on-again, off-again relationship where he is at sea, but he doesn't want to, she doesn't want to love him and let him be in love with her because of this curse. She doesn't want anything bad to happen to him. Then we see Faith at 11, and Martha has treated her poorly, tried to beat the witchcraft out of her, all this stuff. So Faith ends up escaping, and she turns to dark magic or left-handed magic. She uh, convinces this man named Jack Finney to bring her, like, to help her escape because he's got a wagon. He was a traitor. When they um, are crossing a bridge, Martha falls after them. She hits the wagon and falls off and almost drowns, and then Faith does not help her and basically Loki kills her somehow. And that's, she gets this like mark, right? And they eventually make their way to Manhattan. I think that's where Maria has been living in. She's been living in Samuel's house this whole time with her dad, with his dad. And she eventually, right before Faith finds her, she even, she sends Samuel away and says, I can't love you right after his dad dies because she doesn't want to curse him. So then he's gone, right? And then they find each other and Faith continues to practice black magic and eventually finds out who her father is and leaves Maria Maria again to go back to Salem to curse him. And Maria is heartbroken. She's trying to figure it out at what's going on. And also at this time, the Salem witch trials are at their height. So they're really, really bad right now. And so Maria is trying to figure out how she can save her daughter. She ends up curing another little girl and... Her father is an important man and she gets him to have this doctor help her send a letter to the magistrate or the, no, the governor of Massachusetts. And he declares which trials to be over and you can't try them anymore. thus saving all the women in Salem. And she does make her way there to find her daughter. And her daughter has been living in John's house, her father's house and um, has been, working curses on him so she she curses him and she does really horrible black magic stuff but eventually decides to repent and forsake black magic she ends up losing magic and on her way running back because she's now like i'm done with this like i got my revenge i got what i wanted i need to go back to my mom she gets um captured by two farmers who blame her for their farm their barn burning down and they throw her in a lake tied to a chair so she'll drown meanwhile samuel has returned from the sea and he came back and he finds a letter from maria basically saying i was wrong i do love you and he finds out from jack that maria has gone to salem to save faith so he rushes after her and um the two of them reconcile and then they find faith right as faith is getting thrown into the lake Samuel rushes and swims into the lake to save her, but ends up drowning. Maria pulls him out of the lake, but he's dead. But her love for him somehow brings him back to life. And she says, you died. So the curse doesn't affect you anymore and is no longer afraid to love them or love him. And then, yeah, like I said, Faith loses her magic because she turned to the dark side. So, mm, but one day she might get her magic back when she's old and has learned the rules of magic again. And she, so then the last 10 or 15 pages is the epilogue which I really enjoyed and it kind of just flash forwards and tells their future 
Maria built a house in Salem so that Owen's women can always have a place to live. Her and Samuel stay together. He goes to the sea during the summer and stays there in the winter. They end up having a baby that they name Hannah, Raina, Diaz, Owens after their two mother, their two mothers or Maria's mother figure. And um, they all live happily ever after. And it was a great story. 10 out of 10 would recommend. And so I know, honestly, I feel like I did okay. I feel like that was 10 minutes. And like I said, this is 30 to 40 years, 400 pages that I had to condense. And I just did the high level stuff. And that's really all you need to know. So let's get into my thoughts. The first thing, like I said, the length. So my last episode, I said, Ties That Tether was the shortest book I'd read in a long time. And I read it in two days. Uh, Magic Magic Lessons was one of the longest books I've read in a while. And it took me a week and a half to read it. And part of the reason it took so long to read is because of the prose. But that was also why I picked it. This book is very different than books I normally read. I have read historical fiction before. I really like it, but I haven't read a historical fiction book like this per se. And let me explain kind of what I mean. So normally books have a lot of dialogue. Yeah, books have dialogue, right? This book had dialogue, but not a lot. Instead, they had it had lots of prose, lots of paragraphs of descriptions of what's going on, what characters are thinking what you can see, like the setting, stuff like that. It was very much dialogue light in prose heavy, I guess, which is very different from what I normally read. And one of my worst, I have two really bad reading habits. The first is skipping to just read the dialogue and then going back to read what's in between. And the second is flipping ahead to kind of see what's going on, which I was was honestly very guilty of during reading this book because Samuel would disappear for a while. And I was like, is he coming back though? Because I was very invested in him and Maria's relationship. And I really just wanted them to be happy and in love. So I was so glad when we get to the end and they are, because at one point, actually at multiple points, I did not think that was going to happen, but that's another point for later. Anyways. So yeah, the pros was like I said, it was just like lengthy. It took a long time to read. This is one of those books where it felt like I had been reading for hours and I hadn't read that many pages, if that makes sense. But I really, really enjoyed the book, even if it did take me some time to get through. And part of that was the prose and it being very different. It was a very different read for me, which I found enjoyable. And actually the writing is why I chose to read this book. So this is one of my book of the month picks. And when you, I don't know if any of you have used book of the month or anything like that, but basically they give you a little synopsis and then you're able to read the first page or two. And I read it and it was just so beautiful. It sounded almost like poetry, stuff like that. So I was like, bam, sold. I'm intrigued by this. I need to read it. And the writing in this book was just so beautiful. It was really, really great. And I think that was probably the biggest strength of the book was just the writing was fabulous. And like I said, it's very different from what I normally read. And it's extremely different from what I write because when I write, I am very dialogue heavy and then kind of what's going on in the characters' minds. And I do very poorly at explaining what the world, like what things look like, what people are, the actions people are doing that you can physically see. Although you can't see because it's a book, but whatever. And that was kind of the opposite in this book. And it was really fun to read something that was different. So, yeah, that's kind of uh, the first point that I wanted to talk about. 
I really enjoyed the writing. The second part is the curse. Um, I'm going to find the curse so I can read it to you because you need to hear this. Okay, I found it. This is the curse that she says right before they try and hang her. To any man who ever loves in Owens, let this curse befall you. Let your fate lead to disaster. Let you be broken in body and soul. And may it be that you never recover. That's what she curses. And at this point, bro, uh, Samuel Diaz has literally come all the way across the world to come and save you. He brought you a beautiful magnolia tree to show his love for you. And you loved it. And you also are feeling him and really like him a lot. And potentially, like, you're in love with him right now. So why would you do that? I get that your first love, John, was a douchebag and, you know, was trying to murder you right now. And so why can't you just curse him instead of cursing Samuel, who then, for the rest of the book, you have this whole thing where you're like, oh, I can't, I can't be with you because I cursed anybody who ever would love somebody. And he's like, bruh, I already love you. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced that the curse did affect him and that he was miserable because the woman he loved wouldn't let him love her. So in a way, Maria caught, like, do you guys get what I'm saying? The curse wasn't that he died, although he did technically die and came back to life. So I don't know, maybe that's the curse. But for him, I feel like the curse would be your curse to love somebody who refuses to love you back because they're afraid that you will befall some horrible tragedy. But you're already like sad and miserable all the time because the person you love won't love you back because exact you see it's cyclical so that's the first problem with the curse is that what was she thinking because she literally cursed herself and she was already feeling Samuel so what the heck the second part is you literally cursed every Owens woman woman for the next however long life goes on 400 years basically 300 400 500 However many years life continues to go on and there continue to be Owens women, I get love did you wrong, love did your mother wrong, love did Hannah wrong. It really did them wrong, right? But there were extenuating circumstances to some of that. And I get it. You're about to die. You're not really thinking straight. But also, you just cursed your daughter to never have love. Oh, this curse was dumb. It's so dumb. Why? Why? Just just tell me why. Did you curse any man who would ever love anybody in your family? So here's a thought then. If a woman loves somebody in your family, are they not cursed then? That's a thought. We gotta... I'm curious. I want to know. Alice Hoffman, you need to let me know. One thing also, just as a side note... Normally when I talk about my books, I'm like, yes, this is the author. This is the title of the book, whatever. This book, not like that. Every time I'm going to say the title or the author, I have to look at the book and be like, oh, yes, Magic Lessons by Alice Hoffman. I don't know why I couldn't remember this book title for the life of me, even though, like I said, I really enjoyed it. This was a great book, one of the best books I've read recently. But for some reason, I just can't remember the title. I, I don't know. But yeah, the curse. It's I understand that. So this book is a prequel, and you see how the curse plays out in present day, and then in the six sixties. I guess it wouldn't be present day anymore in the nineties, and then in the sixties. So also interesting is that the second book is a prequel to the first book. 
And then the third book is a prequel to both of those books. So interesting how she kind of did that. I think I might read those other books one day, but no guarantees. And if I do, it'll be in a long time because all of a sudden I have the longest TBR, which means to be read list ever. In March, when quarantine started, I had like nothing to read. I was just rereading things. And now that I've started my book podcast, I have so many books to read and I'm always stressed out. Like, what am I going to read next? Oh my God, this, this, this. And then I accumulate more books. I'm like, why am I doing this? I have all these other books to read. I think anybody who's on BookTube or Bookstagram or, I don't know, book podcasters maybe, although I don't know any of you, I feel like they've got the same problem as me. But that's another story. Never mind anyway, Into the Woods reference, if you will. The next thing... Okay, you know what? While we're talking about the curse, let's sidetrack into the two love interests, John and Samuel. Let's first talk about evil gross John Hawthorne. I hate him. He's disgusting. What is a 35-year-old man doing with a 15-year-old girl, first of all? That was just so gross when I read that. I literally gagged. And this is before you meet Samuel, and also you don't know that his character is going to exist. And so you know that Maria's gonna fall in love with this guy and it's just disgusting and I hate it and then we later go and see him in Salem and he's still gross and awful and he's a bad husband and he's a bad father and he tries to kill Maria and all this stuff and I just really hate him and he's disgusting and I think that he's gross and I hate him yeah there's a special place in hell for him um also I wonder if he's real because he was the magistrate of Salem, and I just want to know if he's real or not. Maybe I should Google him. I'm gonna Google him. Bro, this man is real, and you should Google him because his photo's super ugly. He's got a he's super ugly looking, but if you Google him, it says uh John Hathorne, August 1641 to May 10th, 1717, was a merchant and magistrate of the Massachusetts Bay Colony in Salem, Massachusetts. He's best known for his early and vocal role as one of the leading judges in the Salem witch trials. So this man is real. Obviously, she took some artistic license in uh, creating this character. But so I hope that John Hathorne, the real man and this book character is in hell because they're gross and evil. And why are you killing all these innocent ladies for being witches? Do I think witches exist in real life? No. But even if they did, they were just doing healing art. They were just helping people. So I don't know why you're all up on them and trying to kill them. But now let's talk about my man. I literally wrote my notes. My man, Samuel Diaz, because he's great. I loved it. We all know that I love the romance subplot. Or Because the thing is, while this book is about love, I mean, it's kind of advertised in that way, it's not a romance. There is romance that happens, but this book is a lot more about Maria and her growth as a person and self-discovery and her life and stuff like that. And it, it's not like a typical romance, especially because it's spanning over so many years. And so this, I would say the romance, especially with Samuel, is a subplot. But Samuel was one of my favorite parts of the book, mostly because I just wanted Maria to be happy and to be with him. Because from the instant they meet, you just know that he's a good guy, that he truly loves her, sees who she is, and wants to take care of her and child and all this other stuff and you know he ends up sacrificing his life to save faith and he's like you know what I got to help the woman I love I finally got to truly be with her with nothing holding us back 
it's okay. But then her love resurrects him. You know, Tangled vibes maybe. Although, you know, I doubt this was influenced by Tangled. But you never know. You never know. Anyways, the most frustrating part about the relationship, like I said when I was talking about the curse, is the fact that they're, like, not really together. There's years will go by in between their interactions because of Maria being stubborn about not wanting him to be cursed. But you're already in love with him, so it's too late. And he's already in love with you, so it's too late. Like I said, this curse... It really just grinds my gears. It really gets me going. But anyways, Samuel was great. Every time he went to see, he came back and brought Maria a tree to show his love. How romantic. Where are my trees? I'm just kidding. But like also, it was a really cute gesture. And um, I just, he was a great character. I felt really bad for him because Maria was being stubborn. But also, I get it. But also, he cared about her and cared for her so much, and it was great. I really loved him. I Like I said, I would skip forward to see how long I had to wait until he would come back. Not necessarily because I was like, oh, I want to see him talk again, right? I want more dialogue. I was like, no, I want more interactions with him and Maria. I want them to be happy. I needed to know if they were going to be happy. And I really thought when he died, he was legit dead, and I was so sad. But then he wasn't. And I was so happy. And then the ending, this is kind of goes into my next thing about part six, about which is called fate, because the book is broken up into six different parts. And the last part is basically just the epilogue. But I was so happy that they finally had their life together. And then they had a child. And that was just really nice. I just really enjoyed the fact that they have this miracle baby, Hannah Raina. And I was just like, yes, man, this is what I want. I want them to be happy. And I also, I don't think I said, but Samuel ends up stopping going to see after they have their baby and like staying home because he wants to be with his family. They're just really nice. And I want to know what happens with their baby. Like, was it Faith or is it Hannah who the witches and wizards in the final, um, sorry, my phone was buzzing. If the witches and wizards in the final, not the final, what the heck, the witches, Oh my god. I want to know if it's Hannah or if it's Faith's children that the other books are about. Like, are they descended from just one of them, both of them? Like, I don't know. I'm curious about that. And also, I liked this epilogue a lot. A lot of times an epilogue is about, I don't know, maybe four or five pages. And it shows you kind of something in the future, whether that be the next day which I think is dumb, or like two weeks later, I'm looking at you, The Boyfriend Project. That I, Don't even get me started on that book. Or whether that be a couple months later, years later. A lot of romances like to do, oh, two years later, and now I'm pregnant, and we got married, and like all this other stuff, which is like fine. I want to know that. But also feels kind of derivative, I guess. And then, but this one was about 10 to 15 pages, and it kind of... What I think part of how it's different is that you know a little bit about Maria and her story and her family because of the other two books. You know they have this house. You know that there's a library and that there's a school and all this other stuff. But I didn't know that because I haven't read the other books. And it was really nice to kind of see how Maria's life plays out further on and also a little bit more about Faith and, like I said, Samuel. But I just thought that the epilogue was really, really well done in a way that you don't typically see in epilogues a lot of times they're very like you want them to see kind of what's going on but also 
they're kind of just there. They're really typically not that good of writing, but this one was still just as beautiful and as important as the rest of the book. One of the other things I wanted to touch on, kind of going back to how I said John Hathorne is real, is that there must have been so much research that went into this book because there was so many references to different herbal remedies that Maria would have been using or did use through the book. And that had to be researched because there was tons and tons of them. There was, I really felt like I was living in the 1680s and 90s. I don't know, in Salem, in New York. I felt like I was living on the island when Maria was in the Caribbean or wherever, no, wherever she was, right? I really felt like I was there. And then just how she created all these people, they really felt very authentic and the life they were living seemed very authentic to the time. And like I said, apparently John was a real man. And so having to do all the, all the research into him and his life and what's going on. And then also all the research into the witch trials. And then the people that are around that. I can't imagine how many hours and probably days worth of research that Hoffman had to do. And I literally just looked back at my book again to make sure I got the author's last name right. So I can't. It paid off tremendously, but oh my God, that had to be a lot of research. I can't imagine having to do that much research for a book. And so I think we should just take a moment to appreciate historical fiction writers for the researchers that they are. I mean, unless they pay somebody to do all that research for them, in which case we should thank those researchers. But oh my God, that's so much work, but it really truly did pay off and was Quite, quite excellent. Very, very enjoyable. The final, mm, I don't know if I actually want to talk about that or not. The only other thing I have written down is Faith as left-hand magic practicer. And I was really sad that Faith ended up doing the dark arts, the dark magic for a while there. She does end up repenting, but it was sad to see. But also, in a way, it was kind of interesting because I feel like a lot of times, like when you're reading horrible books on um, Wattpad, when it's like people go through abuse, which Faith did with that Lady Martha who stole her, the people come out of it and they're like scarred. But it's like, I'm still the most innocent, faithful, like happy, nice person ever. And it was kind of interesting to see it the other way. Like she became the environment that she was in. She became cold. She became focused on revenge, stuff like that. So it was interesting in that way, but I was also really sad because Faith was such a happy little girl before she got stolen and taken away. And I was sad to see her kind of go down this dark path and become vengeful. That was upsetting to me. But, you know, she did end up repenting and everything ended up working out for her. Although she did end up losing her magic, so... Mm, that was sad for her too. But that those are my thoughts on Magic Lessons by Alice Hoffman. I would definitely recommend that you all read this book. I will say that it is dense. It will take you a while to get through because of the writing, but it's also beautiful and wonderful because of that writing. If you like historical fiction, this I definitely would recommend it. And if you're new to historical fiction, I think this is a great book to kind of introduce that to you as long as you don't mind kind of the writing style that this is going to be written in. I did a pretty good job at keeping it short. My laptop is close to dying and my four o'clock plans are almost upon us. It is 3.46 here. 
I would just like to say that I had a good time recording this because I've been recently editing the Harley Merlin episodes, which now you can see how far in advance those episodes are recorded before they are posted. That episode, those three episodes were actually recorded weeks before. Yeah, they were recorded a really long time ago versus when this one is recorded to when it'll be posted, but whatever. Anyways, it's just so good to not be editing audio and instead just be making it so, so much easier. Make sure you go follow my Instagram account at I read a book once blog. Check out my actual blog, I read a book once blog.com. And, you know, subscribe to this podcast. Give it a nice five star rating so other people can find it. And I'm very excited to announce that I have a very, very special episode for you guys next week. Next week, I'm going to have my very first guest, my good friend, Laura Noble, on the podcast to talk about Ninth House by Lee Bardugo. It was a time and a half. Laura and I had such a good time recording it, and it was really fun having a co-host for the day to bounce ideas off of and go back and forth. So make sure you tune in next week to hear Laura and I talk about Ninth House. And if you like it, then maybe I'll have more guests in the future. So I'll catch you guys next time. 